Hey, it's Flake from Wampa Radio. This episode that you're about to listen to, episode three, is delayed because, well, we got ahead of ourselves, frankly. We were touching on some information that had not been officially released yet. So, in respect to Fantasy Flight Games and Star Wars Unlimited and the whole process of releasing this information that we're all so dying to hear, we said, you know what, we're going to wait until now, until it's cool to talk about these things. So here it is. Here's the episode of Wampa Radio that is just a little bit late, but nonetheless is just as awesome. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number three of Wampa Radio, a podcast that focuses on Star Wars Unlimited, the decks, the strategies, the discussion, the charmbaka, with uh, quite the festive shirt there. Wow. I was waiting for you to notice the shirt. I noticed it. I kept kept waiting for some sort of comment, some sort of, I don't know, poke. Well... Uh, you look like you're you're ready for either like the luau of the century or you're some sort of stealth commando infiltrating like Bed Bath and Beyond or something. <laughs> I don't know what, but you're prepared for something. Hopefully it's this podcast. I am prepared for good times. Mm-hmm. I am known as a very positive person, a very happy person bright and this shirt is reflective of my personality okay so friends uh mark the date it is uh episode three june's 21st first day of summer charmer has flat out lied to you right into your mouths um but we are here and uh we have uh we've committed to like a one episode per week thing because when it comes to star wars like let's be real there's there's no there's no such thing as filler for us but this is a this is one of those sort of I don't know how to kind of explain what this episode's going to be, but it's 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 kind of like doing doing the the grunt work part of uh, of this you know exploration into a new card game, right? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way to put it because right now we know so much and yet we also know so little and so there's this very interesting time period when you're learning any sort of new card game and they're kind of trickling out details where you feel like you know everything and you also potentially know nowhere near as much as you think you do and i like to kind of capture those moments in time by wildly speculating and talking about things uh, both in terms of fact and fiction, because a lot of times, you know, you'll look back at this in a few months or a few years and you'll just kind of chuckle and be like, oh, we were so off. And uh, I appreciate those. Yeah, those are fun. The retrospectives are always cool and such, but we're only three episodes deep. So it's not like we're going back on a whole lot here. Nonetheless, uh, this episode is one of those episodes of it's still like a primer episode for those who may be new to this game, new to card games in general, Charmer. So I think that this is definitely a worthwhile episode. Yeah, I think that's fair. You and I are card game veterans, and a lot of times I think we take for granted what people may or may not know or the experiences they're going to have before they jump into a card game. So uh, I do think that it is important to kind of get back to basics at times and make things very accessible for new people and there's nothing more accessible than a simple poll 
So I think right now is a great time for us to talk about the Wampa Cave Pole of the Week. That we were running on Twitter again. If you're not following us, we're at Wampa Radio on Twitter. And this week we asked you all, who is the greatest duo in Star Wars? The choices were Han and Chewbacca, R2-D2 and C-3PO, Din, Jaren, and Grogu, and Kylo Ren and Rey. Now, nobody wrote in the fifth option, which is Charmer and Flake. I'm a little disappointed by that, but how did things shake out? Well, this one was close to my heart, because again, we kind of prefaced this a little bit last week, which is seemingly how these polls tend to go. We'll get on one, and then we'll be like, that's a poll. That's a poll right there. It's like that Seinfeld episode, you know, where they're like, that's an episode. You know, what'd you do today? I went to work. That's an episode. Um, but so, yeah, so this is basically how it went out, went down, which was um, Han and Chewbacca taking it, and which I thought was going to be a little bit of a neck and neck, probably with R2-D2 and C-3PO, which came in second place. Han and Chewbacca took more than half the votes at 54.8%. R2-D2 and C-3PO, Star Wars's original married couple, 33.7%. So that's the lion's share as the other two combined for just a shade over 11%, I believe, which is Din Djarin and Grogu, and then Kylo Ren and Rey at uh, four and a half, uh, around 4.8%. I'm, I don't want to say I'm surprised that the results on this, I'm just surprised that Kylo Ren and Rey got over 1%, in all honesty. I thought they would get maybe one or two votes. I think they are more popular than you give them credit for. There is a lot of people that were very into it, even though the movies were, I'll say, uh, questionable, right? Some people actually really enjoy them, and I don't want to take away from them. People should uh, enjoy things. I, I'm not in the habit of yucking somebody else's yum, but let's just say that it was uh, a contested viewpoint very often for the most recent trilogy, but people still loved Kylo. They loved Ray. Kylo and Ray were a late addition, actually, to the poll because you kind of wanted to wedge that in. Or rather, we both had the same fourth option, I think. And then ultimately, you said it might be better to actually stick Kylo Ren and Ray as the fourth option, but that wasn't always the fourth pick there. No, no. I mean, the reality is, is even after. You and I had talked about the poll. There were more that I felt like we could have tried to put in. But the reality is, is I, I think that, and this poll shows it, the reality is the top two are the real discussion, right? Is it R2-D2, C-3PO, or is it Han and Chewbacca? And in this case, Han and Chewbacca won the fight. They did, but there was love that I had for, you had for, that some of the, the write-in votes, I guess, had for. Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka. And I think that a lot of this is going to be skewed in the same vein wherein I don't want to say it's whatever the opposite of recency bias is. I mean, uh, because there's the OGs, which is C-3PO and R2-D2 all the way back from the original trilogy in the 70s to same thing with Han and Chewbacca. And not only that, but Han and Chewbacca got a refresh um, in... You know, they had their own movie in Solo. They had, uh, obviously, they were in um, The Force Awakens. Uh, they were there as well. And same thing with, like, C-3PO and R2-D2. They had the prequels to 
get acquainted and, and sort of have that kind of relationship. Whereas Din Djarin and Grogu are very much the past two or three years worth of Star Wars canon, and Rey and Kylo are the past five or six or seven years of, or however many it were, of Star Wars canon, right? So there's, a, I guess there's certain amounts of people that I found when it comes to any type of Star Wars content that card games, games, whatever, a lot of it is people who grew up with it. You know, I don't know if this is the same with you when you interact or, or you, you know, you kind of get immersed in sort of Star Wars communities, but even with the Star Wars CCG community, that community has sort of aged with the content. It's sort of, it, mm-hmm. you know, and I get it, it's a defunct game and all, but, you know, I'm wondering if there's a lot of people who are diving into Star Wars tabletop stuff at an earlier age or at a younger age, or if it's just people sort of chasing that same nostalgia that we used to have playing the old games. I think it's a bit of both. I will say that, you know, you said it's the opposite of recency bias. I call it the nostalgia bias or the first impression bias. So I have this really weird theory. This is not Star Wars related, but if anybody has ever played any Resident Evil game, my running theory and nine times out of 10, I'm correct, is that the first one they played is always their favorite. Like I have a buddy of mine who swears that Resident Evil 2 is like the best of the franchise up and down. And that was the first one he ever played. And I have this weird soft spot for the original. And then I know other people that are like, no, Resident Evil 4 is like where it's at. But then when you ask them, it's like, well, that was the first one I played. Right. And it's because it's very, very hard to make that first impression again. Right. And so with these long franchises and Star Wars is definitely in that vein as well. Right. Lots of content for you to choose from. Nothing hits you in the feelings the same way that that first exposure does. And uh, that's also why I I swear that, you know, there's a lot of folks that love Revan, right, from Knights. And I get it. Cool character. Great game series, right? I'm hoping that we get the kind of remake or remaster that they've been teasing. But also, like... I remember other Star Wars games, right? So I've mentioned several times, like Dash Rendar is somebody that I really enjoyed because that was, you know, my exposure to character-driven Star Wars video games. Um, So I I think that for whatever reason, the first time we fall in love with something, it's just hard to recreate that magic. I think that in maybe a couple more years with the fleshing out of characters like Ahsoka, with the series coming out and and such, I think that there's going to be a little bit more reflection on how important she was to the tale because she was, um, I don't want to say a side character, obviously not from Clone Wars. She was a a very much centerpiece of Clone Wars. However, um, you know, it's just, it was just part of that Clone Wars. You never saw her in any of the movies beyond that. You don't know what happened to her. I'm really curious to see where her story is ends or what's going on what happened to her and perhaps that will have more people endearing themselves to her looking back at how she got to where she was watching clone wars seeing that incredible relationship develop between anakin and ahsoka and then start maybe leaning towards that but again twitter's limitations beyond its ceo is the fact that it only allows four options within uh the polls themselves so we gave you four options, yeah. and those were the, what well, they are. Well, you know, ultimately, I think one of the reasons that I started leaning more toward the the Kylo and Ren being included on the, the poll, just for full transparency, is that I think 
Ahsoka and Anakin more so than the other four that we ended up listening or listing, excuse me. Uh, she kind of grows out of that duo. You know what I mean? Like she starts with Anakin and she has a great relationship with him. And they even revisited that. I don't know if you've watched all of the uh, Tales of the Jedi shorts, the, you know, young Dooku, young Ahsoka stuff. And I loved that. And I actually felt like that was the best showcasing of her relationship is like that teacher mentor thing with him. But ultimately, throughout the course of Clone Wars, she grows not just away from Anakin, but away from the Jedi, kind of becomes the the gray Jedi thing. We see more of that kind of departure in Rebels. And so I think I, she's one of my favorite characters and I love Ahsoka, but I think that it's because of her growth and her arc that I don't think of her as part of a duo the way I do some of the others, right? Like to me, you know, even though they scored low on, on our poll, it's really hard to think of Mando and Grogu as separate entities at this point, right? Like they they are a duo. Same thing with R2-D2, C-3PO, Han and Chewie. But when I think of Ahsoka, it's it's not quite the same, so. I am so happy that we've departed from referring to Grogu as Baby Yoda, which I get it. At the beginning, it didn't have, you know, Grogu didn't have a name. We didn't know. Uh, it was just whatever Yoda species was. It was a younger version of that species, Baby Yoda. I get it. I understand the origin story, as it were. But after it was revealed with that, you know, the child's name was Grogu, I still heard some people calling him Baby Yoda. I'm like, and I, it, it took every ounce of my being not to hit them with the, well, actually, and do Baby, one of those. Here's the thing. Baby Yoda will be Baby Yoda forever the same way that, you know, Link is Zelda and, <laughs> you know, Frankenstein's monster is also yeah, Frankenstein. Yeah, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it is what it is. It oh, doesn't even bother me anymore. So you're Zelda and you have a legend? Yes, that's precisely it. All right. Well, we've got news. We've got headlines, um, which are rather scarce, as it were. But let's go through them anyways. And it starts, my friend, with the Father's Day reveal on brand, on point, well done, new card. Yeah. So on Father's Day, they revealed, I am your father. And this this is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One... I think, obviously, cheeky reveal for Father's Day. But also, I, I think that, you know, you were just talking about the well actually thing, right? The the Luke, I am your father is not a line that actually appears in Star Wars. It's one that's often repeated because people remember the line from Tommy Boy. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that they went with, I am your father for the title of this, I love that it's both still a reference, but also not the line. You know, we were talking about lines that will make it into the game and i said you know one way or another we're gonna get a you know somehow palpatine returned card this is kind of like the other end of that spectrum where we get something that actually isn't said but everyone thinks is said but we got i am your father uh, this was a really interesting card revealed to me because uh, on the surface it seems very powerful if you have played other games in the past so if you've come from something like magic the gathering for example this card reminds me a lot of browbeat and it's where you present your uh, opponent with a choice. So in the case of this card, you are dealing seven damage to an enemy unit unless the controller says no. And if they do, then you draw three cards. So you you provide them with the choice of like, hey, that unit's going to take seven damage. And based on the cards we've seen so far, that's likely enough to just kill a unit. Um, even some of the big, 
you know, more powerful looking units have less than seven health. Um, or you get to draw three cards. So that that feels like it's going to be really powerful. First things first. Do you know who has seven health? Luke, which is so perfect because it just matches up, whereas Vader has eight, but Luke has seven health, and that just that yeah. takes him down, which is awesome there. Uh, the Tommy Boy reference was pretty solid, too. I was picturing it where he's, like, speaking into the fan in the yep. office. Yeah, that's precisely it. Um, I will edit that clip in here for sure. You're probably looking at it right now. So the other part about this card that, again, Shades of Star Wars CCG, which I will always reference because it's the greatest card game I've ever played, is that in that card game, they incorporated a lot of sort of extra little layers of fun and and sort of flavor to the cards, of which one card called Star Destroyer with an exclamation point was printed. It was a light side card. It was a interrupt. And what it said basically was, if your opponent deploys or moves a Star Destroyer to a location that you occupy or something, play this card and say... Star Destroyer, and then do the text on the card. It was built in. It was like one of those things. And again, you with your smucker's face would probably be the one where if somebody played this, would you'd say, uh, 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 you didn't say the line, therefore it's illegal, or you have to say the line. And this is gives me the exact same kind of feeling within the design where you're, you're kind of like throwing in movie lines and you're putting some extra you know some extra sauce on it that gives you those feels another fascinating element and this one i always used to enforce is that if when your turn is over in a, in star wars ccg when your turn was over you had to say the force is with you and that ended your turn and that passed the turn over and i used to stop my friends because they would say i remember this i used to annoy one of my buddies so damn much i believe christo my buddy christo i used to annoy him all the time because he would he would say all right it's your turn. he's like I'm done your turn and I would just stand I would sit there and wait smugly channeling my charmer which I had not even <laughs> met in my life yet and I would wait and then he would get annoyed and he'd be like the force is with you I'm like thank you now it's my turn and he'd be like you son of a bitch and like yeah so that's that's one of the things I want to take out of this card which is super just delicious when you're when you're thinking about it yeah, the only thing that really disappointed me is that in the card text, it's just a no, but like small letters, just a simple no, right? Like <laughs> I wanted them no. to say like, unless the controller says, no, no, that's impossible while like clinging to a weather vane, you know, I really wanted them to, you know, kind of force them to go ham fisted with it. But it is just a simple no. Well, there's a worse one. Uh, from episode three, <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. No, <laughs> yeah, you got to shake the table while you're doing it. Yeah, I think we're actually. You know what? Let's take a quick five second silence pause here because I am absolutely incorporating this clip in here. So here we go, all together now. No! I don't know if it's over yet, but we're gonna figure it out. But what a ridiculous, ridiculous <laughs> like additional amendment or or whatever. I just want to be the person that had to coach that line. Like you're you're telling the legend James, "Hey, I need you to say no but longer. No longer. No, I mean I need some real emotion in it. Longer, right? Like and he's just there. It does feel like he goes forever. He's like he's and he's just there. You already know that I'm Darth Vader. 
but bitch, I'm also Mufasa. I know what I'm doing here. And this is like, at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, no shit, you're right. Uh, let's let the professional do this. No. That's like, it, it kind of just takes you out of the moment. And I understand why they did it. Like, it's meant to be this realization that the entire reason he turned to the dark side, you know, to save Padme, it turns out that it, it, he killed her. Or, or is told that he killed her, and that, and I get it. Like Palpatine's trying to fuel his rage, and and like you know, and really own him in yeah. that matter. In that, I think that's it. Is that you would have expected it to be almost like a more feral roar. Like when I think about the voice acting job that like Sam Witwer did for uh, Maul, right, and his like iconic like Kenobi line where he's just shouting it out in the desert. Like that feels like visceral and you know from from like deep within him and like the vader one feels for lack of a better term theatric or almost like a you know stage embellishment right like it's a live play and not like emotion and and i know that's hard to convey vader mask and voice and whatever but it just i don't know it felt off the one i can and then this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous but one of those screams of emotion that really sold me and I was like wow that really hit me um you're gonna laugh at this it's when McBain's partner gets shot up in the diner and he yells out Mendoza and his voice cracks and you really feel the anger and the the the, the sheer shattered you know emotion that he's holding on to uh that's that's certainly certainly one of them but all right uh well that's that's the new card that we got here again yeah uh, we got new art as well Mm -hmm. so as of recording this we had two art pieces that were shared one is uh very topically relevant as of late and that is of cassian andor so we don't know if this is because he's going to have his own unit card or if this is the art for an action we're only shown the art uh, but we at least get to see our our beloved protagonist from the show Andor is going to be in the card game at some point, right? I mean, we have to assume that if we're seeing the art, and uh, I think it was really well done. I saw a lot of back and forth, like in the Discord and a little bit on Twitter about some people saying that they didn't think it looked enough uh, like the the actor, but I I noticed who it was right away, so I feel like they at least conveyed it, and I also like that this art kind of portrayed him like a little bit more rugged because again we're still getting to know him through the show and or but i just like his background as a spy and so i would also expect his look and and demeanor to kind of change depending on the situation and so making him still look recognizable but not you know just like a, a a still from one of the films or something i think was the right way to go i want to address this really briefly here because i think that there's a lot of unfair criticism towards the artwork for cassian andor and i just want to remind people that cassian andor is a fictional character what you're saying is you're not saying hey that that looks nothing like cassian andor what you're actually saying is that looks nothing like diego luna who plays cassian andor because cassian andor is whatever whatever person is in in charge of essentially visualizing and putting that that you know pen to paper whether it be art or or on you know digital art or whether it be in a live action piece whether it's the casting or the director who chooses who plays Cassian Andor that person probably read the script and had an idea of what Cassian Andor 
should look like or what they're, you know, or maybe they just said, you know what, I want Diego Luna because they're a great character and Cassian Andor is going to be within that mold and I get that as well. At the same time, you know, you have like you like you said specifically, you got it right out of the gate. You didn't have to read that it was that it was Cassian Andor. You looked at it, you said that's Cassian Andor. So Letting the artist have the freedom to interpret themselves what Cassian Andor to them is, is freedom of expression from an artistic point of view, because not all the Lukes look the same, not all the Vaders are going to look exactly the same. Have you seen the Vader in Rebels? With the, you know, yeah. the, the the helmet is looks so much more sinister, more cartoony and whatever. Yeah, Where, it looks more like shades of a skull. Yeah, exactly. And that is an artistic liberty that was taken to portray that character in that light. This is a different art style. It's it's whatever. We all got it. It's all Cassian Andor. You know, we all figured yeah. it out. So I think that I, that's perfectly fine. I also want to piggyback on something you said, which is that what people are comparing it to are images and you know in their mind what they think of as diego luna and the reality is whoever this artist was they probably used a bunch of different images of diego luna as a reference and not necessarily all of them were from andor or from rogue one right because if we know what diego luna looks like and we know that he has the potential like all of us do to look many different ways depending on how we do our hair how long our beard is short no beard whatever there's a lot of different ways that you can portray him. And so like I just shared with you and we can maybe throw that in uh, in the editing after the fact, but like I shared something where it's just casual Diego Luna, but I look at this and then I look at the art and it looks pretty similar to me. Like, I don't know why people are saying it's that far off. Like it's one thing if you just in general don't like the overall style of like the art direction, but like it's the same person. Basically. Basically, and again, where we're all the huffing and puffing about, um, you know, uh, Ahsoka's live action portrayal, and oh, well, there was a lot of that, unfortunately. Well, but. but again, it's it's bogus, and who cares ultimately? And you know what? At the end of the day, great portrayal, Cassian Andor, great portrayal. It's all good. We're good. We're gonna move past it. But what this does open the door for is things like, um the Rogue One characters. So we're going to probably see Jyn Erso. We're probably going to see K2SO. Uh, I would probably hold back on certain releases of certain characters. For example, in Star Wars CCG, they didn't release cards like R2-D2 and Chewbacca and stuff like that until future sets. The Emperor Palpatine didn't get printed until like the 8th or ninth set, which was unreal. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty late. But I will say, you know, especially with some of the Rogue One choices... There is the potential to print different versions of characters, and I would think that Saw Gerrera might be near the top, just because even if you don't do the Rogue One version, you could do like an earlier Clone Wars version, right? He's he's one of those weird in-between ones that actually has like a lot of history because of his appearances in several different forms of Star Wars media. Uh, next one is one that I think got me so hot and bothered. It is <laughs> one of my all-time favorite characters. So no no need to sort of beat around the bush here. Han Solo is probably my favorite fictional character of all time, just in general. But in the realm, in the universe of Star Wars, Wedge Antilles, to me, is a top fiver or a top three even character. Uh, in my, I've read all the X-Wing books by Michael A. Stackpole, this to me is one of the 
the greatest heroes of the rebellion. He is a cheat code in any space battle. He is just basically an auto win. He is one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous snub fighter pilot in the entire galaxy. Wedge freaking Antilles has a card. We don't know what it's going to be, but it's a card. Or, Unless, or has that been leaked? Or, or an action, again, or an event, excuse me. Okay. Get, uh, I thought, yeah, I could the, be wrong uh, the, here. The terminology, right? So, like, it could be that he's just the poster boy for, like, do a barrel roll or something. <laughs> Slippy, get back here! And it's Wedge. And Slippy just turned, like, Slippy is the, Slippy was the dude, I think it was Green Leader or something, who flew into the, the bridge of the Executor in an A-Wing. That's Slippy. You know when he's like, Slippy, get back here? It's because, but then again, he had ended up really doing a, doing us a solid by <laughs> just T-boning the, the Executor and then into the Death Star. Uh, but yeah. That's uh, that's all the new jam here, which is fantastic. And again, it's a slow trickle, ladies and gentlemen. We're not getting new stuff. We're not seeing the game for minimum six more months. So we need to kind of keep ourselves a little bit um, on planet Earth when it comes to understanding the slow trickle. There was a little bit more uh, huffing and hawing of the fact that, oh, it's not a card. It's just the art. Yeah, but look, look at the discussion we were able to have purely off a piece of art there's still 180 days plot or so until the turn of the of the year until the turn of the calendar year and then we can start talking about how many more months until release so we're six months until we start talking about how many months which is still unless they bamboozle us and pull a surprise but I don't expect that. Like what though like what would the surprise be to you like what they're just gonna be like oh sorry it's coming out in fall it wouldn't be fall. Like I would expect if they were going to do any sort of surprise that it would be like an early January release because they keep saying that, it, you know, it's going to be next year sometime. But the fact that they've been trickling stuff out and then, the, you know, they're going to have that Gen Con presence. Maybe the bamboozle is that it's not like late quarter one because you and I have been kind of theorizing that we expect it to be maybe quarter one of next year. But in my mind, that usually if you say quarter one of next year, you usually mean like February or March. That's just the way things traditionally roll. But maybe maybe they want to catch like the right after Christmas crowd or something. Maybe they're going to try to time it with some other release. You know what? Like you kind of slightly sold me on that to the degree of if they already have a major OP structure put together, maybe they don't want to you know, pussyfoot around and be like, let's just fire this full, also like, you know, full throttle in January, have our pre-releases, have our launch parties, whatever. And then February rolls around and let's do some local tournaments. March rolls around and it's like, all right, here's your first, first sets out. Let's have some fun with the first set because the next set is dropping, you know, in April and then kaboom you know, or, or may. So you've got some time to sort of go through it. I, I could definitely see that if they really want to hit the ground running, they would probably have to launch the game in January, right after the holidays. And I think that that's, yeah. that's fair. If, if they're trying to time it with like a calendar year, right? So imagine you get like a, let's say mid to late January launch, and then your next set is out April, maybe early May. And then, you know, if they do three sets a year, then they could target like an August, September for the last set. 
And if you're breaking that up into chunks, then that last set would launch just in time for people to start brewing with it and using it going into whatever their, you know, galactic championship would be, because that would probably be October, November-ish, right? If you're trying to time things with a calendar year. So I could absolutely see that. Um, again, entirely speculation, though, because all we know is next year sometime. But the fact that we're talking about it this early and they're giving us uh, as many details as they are right now, I'm just saying that it is a possibility that it could be sooner rather than later. So how about we hit the the crux of the matter here? Let's get to the nucleus of what this episode is, which is the anatomy of a card. And uh, when Charmer and I were discussing what this episode was going to be out, we're like, let's do a rules and card breakdown. And <laughs> when I was writing the notes, I was saying, mm, you know what? I think we need to separate these because there's a, a solid chunk of time here. And we're probably already past the 30-minute mark on the episode, and we haven't even gotten to it. So I think it's a good thing that we're kind of you know, pacing yeah, ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So let's Listen, hit. I, I just get excited. It's I like when too. you're hungry and your eyes are, you know, more ambitious than your stomach mm -hmm. is. And you're like, I want one of everything on the menu. And then there's no way you can finish it all. Well, it depends. If you're with Keith, he'll be like, all right, let's just, uh, Keith from Realm Games. You guys should go check out uh, the Realm Games. They're awesome people. Good uh, tabletop and card game retailers. Okay, so. Let's talk about the anatomy of the cards. And when we talk about the anatomy of the cards, we're going to break down what all the little numbers mean, what all the little significant kind of um, icons and placements of things and what that means so that when you guys finally look at the cards, when new stuff comes in, you're not fumbling to say, what does this mean? What does this mean? Is this good? And, and ultimately, when you understand the inner you know, workings, the gears, the nuts and bolts of what a card is and how it's built. When you look at a card, you could then very quickly identify, wow, this is good or this is bad. This is above rate. This is below rate. This is a combo piece, etc. So we're going to kick this off, Charmer, with the character cards. We're going to take one of my favorite villains of all time, Grand Moff Tarkin, as our uh, wonderful, our model, if you will. So... Here he is, Grand Moff Tarkin, walks down the Ooh. runway. So break down what we've got on these cards there, Charmer. What's interesting is there's a surprising amount of information, and I think that you sometimes forget how much is conveyed on a card when you have played as many card games as we have, because it wasn't until we started thinking about you know doing this episode where I was like, huh, there's actually a lot to cover here. So... Uh, let's start with likely the most important bit. That's going to be the cost, meaning uh, in this game, in order to play cards, there is a resource cost that you have to pay. That's in the top left. It's the, the number four if you're looking at the Grand Moff Tarkin card. And usually for card games, this determines roughly the power level of a card as well. I say roughly because some things are situational, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea is that the higher this cost is, usually the more powerful or more impactful that card will be because you have to wait until later in the game to play it, right? It has a bigger resource or a bigger investment cost. Uh, there's also up in that top left a spot where it says unit. It's kind of uh, small and hard to see, but that dictates the kind of card this is. So again, this is the character Grand Moff Tarkin, but it as we go through this, we're going to talk about some other types of cards. There's events, there's upgrades, etc. And then specifically with units, because we know there are two kind of zones or fields of play, 
one is ground and one is space we also see up in the top where it says that this one is a ground card meaning that he's walking on his two feet here he's not flying a spaceship i know that he's often in spaceships but this particular representation of mr tarkin excuse me i need to put his title in there put some respect on his name grand moff tarkin is a ground unit now uh, another interesting bit here is uh top left by where the cost is are the aspect icons so without diving too much into the rules, these are likely what's going to be dictating your deck building. Um, and so you're going to have to pay attention to these, right? When you select your leader, they are going to have uh, a certain number of aspects and you can put cards from those aspects into your deck. So the question that we don't have answered yet is whether or not they have to align perfectly. So Grand Moff here has... Uh, a couple of different aspect icons and as such the question is does that mean he can only be played in a command and villainy deck or can he be in one or the other i suspect he has to be in exactly a command and villainy deck because that's going to be another way that they can kind of limit power level through design so that i actually have the answer to that uh those you could put any character in any deck however your leader and your base will have icons. You can build any cards within any deck you want. However, let's say you're playing Grand Moff Tarkin here. His cost is four. For every icon that you're lacking from your base or your leader, you're paying a two-point tax on deploying this character. So let's say you don't have command. Your leader or your base do not have the command icon. You could still play Grand Moff Tarkin, but he will cost six and not two. So this factors in to the fact that this makes this game so draftable now. So draftable yeah. now. Because you could play any character you want. But there, I, what I suspect here is there are going to be decks that are going to have certain combos where the card that you that sort of pops off the combo or really gets it over the top might not have the icon with the leader in the base, but it's worth the the paying that penalty because of what it does. So what I love about this is that the deck restrictions are are, are basically penalties and not flat out denials of including something in the deck. So those two icons there are kind of like, do you have this? They're checks. They're like, do you have this? Do you have this? Perfect. You pay four. Oh, you're missing one of these. It's plus two oh you're missing both it's plus four so that is uh part of it now i do also suspect charmer that it's going to be very rare that people are going to want to stray too far from their core three icons but this this is another evolution in my mind and i think that we're going to touch upon this in the next episode when we dig into rules and deck building and stuff but this to me is an evolution of color identity from magic uh factions faction identity stuff from like gwent and and other card games um hearthstone has classes and such it allows you to still be creative still include all the cards you want but if you stray too far from that synergistic sort of orbit that you've been around you're gonna have to pay a tax see it's also really interesting because there are going to be certain cards and it'll, I think, make more sense when we get to like some of the events, for example, but there are going to be certain cards that will likely be uh, answers, right? So traditionally in 
card game design, if you're somebody who's new to it, a lot of times things are balanced around the idea of every card has an answer, right? Every check has a balance. And a lot of times what that means is that through kind of trial and error, people kind of figure out that some decks, like outright full decks, have to counter other decks because when you build your deck, you want it to kind of have a goal or a theme. And so straying too far from that theme is too punishing. But if your deck is very good at countering something else, then you kind of end up with this checks and balances triangle. However, if some strategies are so you know powerful or pervasive, the fact that any decks can slap in potential tech cards and just pay attacks means that it's also going to open up the ability to balance things, right? So I think about, you know, again, a card that we're going to look at a little bit later where it's like Vanquish, where you can just destroy any non-leader unit. That could end up being a meta staple, and you'll be more than happy to pay the tax on that just to answer certain strategies, for example. Oh, definitely. Uh, absolutely. Um, you're you're not wrong there. It just makes sideboards a little bit, if there are sideboards, we don't know, makes sideboarding a little bit more, you know, uh, wide open. Uh, and even aggressive if you wanted to do so. Um, moving on with, with Tarkin here and the unit cards. Again, we went through the cost, the type of unit, ground or space, the icons with affiliations, etc. Uh, etc. Uh, et hey, there's a word for you, etc. Um, it's 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 a planet in the outer rim. <laughs> and we're going to the, <laughs> the etc. system. Uh, then oh. you you get to essentially the 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 meat of what the character does because everything before that is essentially what, where to play it and how to play it. And then right. everything below the centerpiece, below that beautiful face of his, that bony face of his, uh, is yeah, his face looks like Darth Vader's helmet from Clone Wars. <laughs> it does. It does. It's like if you took, Marlon Brando's uh, Godfather character and Grand Moff Tarkin's and melded their face together, you'd have a normal face. <laughs> you'd have yeah, a, that's fair. You'd have a normal face. You're you're much nicer than me. When you started that, I thought you were going to say if you took Marlon Brando's corpse and animated it. <laughs> I swear, no. <laughs> But you're right. So uh, kind of getting to the meat of it, uh, we've got two numbers, uh, at least on the unit cards, right? There's power and then there are uh, hit points. These are health points. So when you see HP, that's health. And the power is how much damage that it deals when it gets into a you know, conflict. And the health is how much damage it has to take uh, before it is vanquished. I'm just going to use the term from you know, the event card, because we don't, I think, know what the actual term is. It's probably not going to be the word kill directly. Um, I think it's defeated, it, actually. I think it's defeat. Uh, yeah, because Vanquish says defeat. So uh, I just know that they were going to want to stay away from things that are like charged words like that, especially in the, the day of the algorithm. So it's likely defeat uh, because we see that on Vanquish. But the important piece here to remember as well, and again, we'll touch a, a bit more when the rules hit, is that damage appears to be persistent in this game, so that's going to be pretty relevant. Uh, anytime you have that, characters with a higher health are a lot more resilient than they look, so I, I think that's also important. Uh, and then below, well, in between those, we have traits, so these are things that are going to be referenced by other cards, usually. Uh, they don't do anything 
by themselves, but as you can see, uh, he has Imperial, he has Official, so this means there are other cards that might say, you know, do a thing with uh, Imperial units. In fact, his text says do a thing with Imperial units, but... Uh, and then below that, we have his abilities, and so in his case, when he's played, you search the top five cards of your deck for up to two Imperial, Imperial units, and so again, that's where those traits will come in, and then you reveal the units, you draw them, and then the other cards go on the bottom of your deck in a random order, and I'm still surprised by the random order part just because not or it's actually it's for two reasons one usually because there's already shuffle uh variants and things like that a lot of times whenever you have these abilities you kind of want to um provide some sort of agency to the player but if i'm being honest a lot of the games that are being designed now they allow the player to choose the order mostly because it's much easier from a gamekeeping standpoint, right? Because you don't have to sit and like randomly choose the order. You don't have to roll dice and stop the flow of play in order to randomize it uh, effectively. So that's the only reason I'm a little surprised to see random there. I want to put this in context of another card. Uh, actually, no, I'll, I'll do that at the end of this. Because again, the power, the hit points or health points, I was actually going to ask you, I was curious whether what, what HP means to you. To me, it's hit points. Uh, to others, it's health points. But And then there's the game text, uh, which is... Again, a big part here uh, of, of what the game is. Uh, the when played is basically like a battle cry. It's an on-deploy effect. When it hits the board, this is the triggered effect. Yeah. It resolves. If, and it goes uh, If from you're the, playing Marvel Snap, it's uh, like when revealed. Yeah, it's an on-reveal, sort of yeah. Um, and then there is basically the character's traits. And oftentimes, uh, for example, Grand Moff Tarkin is an Imperial, an official. There are going to be cards that say you're... Imperials get plus whatever. His text itself, go get to Imperials. So these are, again, part of the the game text uh, of, of a unit card. <laughs> it also doesn't say different. I just realized that technically, if you're running more than one Grand Moff in your deck, he can reveal himself and put him in his hand. So I just imagine that scene from The Simpsons where Moe throws Barney out and then Barney appears behind him, but instead it's Grandma <laughs> Basically, it's like the Obama awarding Obama a medal like thing. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that whole meme, I totally get it. Um, I also want to just put this in context of, we're talking about, you know what, when, like we prefaced this entire discussion with, once you know what all the numbers mean, you'll be able to gauge how good a card is stat-wise versus cost, etc. If you go, uh, there's another card called, I'm going to try to get this for the screen. It's not going to be easy, but it's um, it's the Consular Security Force. It is also a four drop. It's a four drop vanilla. Now, when you want to gauge how strong a card is in relation to its cost, Typically, if you find the vanilla version of it, vanilla meaning no game text, you use the vanilla version, you look at the stat line, and you compare that to another card with lower stats and the game text effect. You can kind of gauge, okay, how much is this game text worth? The Consular Security Force is a 4-drop, and its stat line is 3-7. So you've got 10 points of stats. So you got 5 less stats for Tarkin for the same price. So fishing cards out of your deck is going to be pretty significant, I would suspect. If you're sacrificing five points of stats, it's because Tarkin's game text is going to be good. So that's something to keep in your back pocket when you're evaluating new cards uh, as well. So that is, uh, that's, a, that's a unit. 
that is a unit, as it were. And there's, again, space equivalent is, is basically the same thing. What else we got? So the other card types are oh, events. Oh, I'm so sorry. We need to back up for a second because... Sure. Grand Moff Tarkin, on the card text, there's something in front of his name that is... Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about the, the star. We did not talk about the star. The star, ladies and gentlemen, is another very, very important element to what these these characters and these cards are. So in front of his name is a little star, and you and I had kind of come to the same conclusion, which is that this represents a character being unique, meaning unique to the universe, but that also means unique to the playing field when we were playing the game, because it's a bit universe-breaking and immersion-breaking to imagine a sequence where you're fighting against three Vaders. We've all seen those scenarios where... You know, you've got a squad of stormtroopers that are being devoured by teddy bears with sticks on some random forest moon. That happens, right? But you only have one Vader. You only have one Luke. You only have one Jar Jar Binks, the powerhouse that is Mr. Mayhem himself. And so that's what that star is going to represent. It's just going to be a, a way to kind of limit the impact but you know, of the immersion, but also, again, a way to balance these cards as well, because... While Grand Moff Tarkin here has just a when played effect, some of these other named characters will likely have pretty powerful effects for when they're in play themselves. And this is another way you can balance them by not allowing multiples to be going off at the same time. Pretty important. Well, this is my, imagine it wasn't there. Grand Moff Tarkin goes and finds a Grand Moff Tarkin and puts another Grand Moff Tarkin on the board, which then searches out another Grand Moff Tarkin. And then you have Grand Moffs Tarkins. Um, all right. <laughs> All right, so next up is events. Events, we mentioned them, and the uh, card that we've got on screen here, uh, for those with the ability of uh, moving pictures of the YouTubes, is Vanquish. Uh, Vanquish is a tactic, but more importantly, it's an event. Yeah, so the big change here is that events are going to be cards that when you play them, they do their thing, and then they're gone. They're just kind of like a, a one-time effect. And... In the case of Vanquish, you still have a cost, you have an aspect icon, uh, you have a name. There is still even a trait, right? We see tactic, so there's you know a possibility that you'll have characters that interact with certain types of events. I suspect that this will show up mostly in like the space thing, for example, because you're gonna have things that are specific to starships, but you might also see some on the you know the ground units as well. Now, the other important bit here is that the abilities are a little bit harder to judge or it's at least a little bit different when you're doing that evaluation because it's a one-time effect right so when you're looking at the cost and then what they do you're not just comparing you know hit points and then card text it's totally you know how useful is this card in a broad sense versus a very narrow sense right is this card something that every time i draw it i'll always find a use for it or you know is it something if I draw it, I might only play it half the time, that sort of thing. And so that's one of the ways that you judge events. The other thing I want to point out, because somebody had mentioned it on Twitter, when I Am Your Father was revealed, they were like, huh, it's weird that the art is on the bottom. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's funny because Vanquish has the art on the bottom. So I don't know if this is going to be the standard for all of the event cards or if this is just representing the fact that these are potentially like dark side events. And so maybe that's why their arts on the bottom, but it could just be a very nice, easy visual indicator to say, you know, stuff that stays on the board has their art, uh, you know, on the upside. And then 
the events have it on the downside, but that is something that I noticed. Well, I mean, look at the, we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get to the upgrades, but the upgrades have the name and the stats all the way at the bottom instead of the middle of the card, which the units have. So I think that they're just trying to switch the design based off of what type of card it is. Now, this is going to throw me off kilter because, you know, when you're shuffling your cards or you're trying to get them all in the same or, or like orientation when you're doing it, the first thing you do is you just look and you say, okay, as long as all the pictures are on the facing the same way, then it's easy. You can do it quickly. But when you're sorting through cards, man, I'm going to lose my mind with this. All right. Well, so here here's uh, why I actually really like it. As somebody who has played a lot of different card games and I start to notice what a good like card interface is versus a bad one in, in terms of like where you place things. Let me tell you about the good things from their design. These are clearly people who have played a lot of card games. One, the cost is always in the upper left. Now, one, that's how you're going to maintain your orientation. Like you were talking about, you're just going to go by cost as opposed to the art. But also the fact that they put it in the top left means that if you are a right-handed person, and I'm sorry, left-handed folks, but that's the majority of us, when you fan your cards out, that's what you're going to see first. So as you're holding these in your hand, it's a very easy way for you without even having to see the full text to know, like, is this a hand I'm going to need to mulligan? How many cards do I have that are even available for me to play? Having the cost in the upper left, uh, along with the aspect icons, which are related to cost, very, very cool from just like a, a gamekeeping perspective. And it's the, also the reason why, you know, you mentioned Vader's lightsaber, that I believe that the power and the traits and those things are on the bottom. Because when you put these into play, you're going to attach it by putting it underneath your hero. Yeah. And you're going to have it just slightly slid up so that you can easily reference the bonus power stuff. And then you'll maybe pick up the card or move it if you have to read the text. But the stuff that you quickly want to reference will be in a nice, easy spot for you to see it. So whoever took the time to design the card faces here has clearly played a lot of games, and I appreciate them. Yes, 100,000%. In fact, the um, I've tried... I've tried to reach out to this individual, but the uh, designer, the lead game designer is Daniel Schaefer. So I don't know if they created the actual, you know. Like the template? But... Yeah. The, you know, there's graphic design, there's graphic design managers. I, I've, there's, I'm, I'm really, I wish I knew specifically who to credit uh, for these decisions. Ultimately, I'm just going to give it to the whole team. And they can dish it out wherever they may. But you're you're spot on about that for the weapons aspect. Because the typical thing, and we've all played enough games, whether it's Magic, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, whatever, where you have equipment, you have something that you can equip to the character. And the one thing you do is, I'm going to use some cards here, is you've got the character, and then the other card goes diagonally beneath it like this and that's kind of like yep. how the setup is this way you can go and you can put it right beneath it and then your stat lines are going to be right there right beneath the card easily recognizable and uh, for that so um I, I i want to close sort of the loop here on events um we've got the name we've got the traits you know, we've seen gambits, we've seen tactics, things like that. The cost is always there. The aspect icon we've talked about. The ability is basically the game text. What does the card do? Events, frankly, are the most bare bones. Uh, they're one-shot uses. 
um, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of situation. So make it happen. But those uh, those are basically events. And I really like the artwork here. It took me a while to sort of distinguish what the hell is going on in the artwork for Vanquish. But when you figure it out that it's Vader tossing Palpatine into the Death Star core, you also yeah. then think about how he will eventually return. <laughs> well, I also kind of chuckled because once I figured out what it was, I was like, oh, so you're telling me that Palpatine's not a leader unit? Not a leader because oh. it's a non-leader unit. And so I was like, oh, is this some shade at Palpatine? Oh, God. <laughs> me, I'm the leader now. <laughs> that's so cool. He he wasn't the leader at that point, that's for sure. Oh. Sweet. I mean, I'm sure we'll have a Palpatine leader. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. I just thought that was kind of funny. It was like, oh, you're throwing a little shade. I see. Um, let's see move. You. Let's move to... Uh, let's go to vader uh, vader saber which is the next type of card which is an upgrade card we haven't talked about bases and we haven't talked about leaders but we talked about them in the previous episodes and i think that they're fairly uh, leaders are essentially going to be like units it just they they sort of come into play we'll talk about how that uh, occurs in our next episode about the rules uh, and bases are just 30 hit points and uh, an aspect icon but how about these upgrade cards charmer Right. So there's a couple of things that stand out to me here. Uh, first, let's just cover the basics. You can see it's an upgrade card in the upper left, along with the cost and the aspect icons as well. We still have a name, still have our little unique symbol. So this is very clearly Vader's lightsaber, not just any lightsaber. So that means likely only one of these in play at a time. And then we have the abilities section. This is where one of the first things jumped out at me. One, this says attached to a non-vehicle unit, so we're already referencing those traits that we had kind of pointed out. But the other thing says, uh, when played, if attached a unit is Darth Vader, you may deal four damage to a ground unit, but that's a when played. And there's also attached to a non-vehicle unit, but I don't see any text for moving this around. So uh -huh. I think that these upgrades are going to be like a one and done play unless there is like some other inherent just game rule for shuffling things around, which I, I do find to be really interesting because, again, if this is truly a unique upgrade, you know, weapon, it's Vader's lightsaber. Maybe you don't have Vader in play or you haven't drawn him yet if he's not your leader and you're playing a different kind of deck and you have the lightsaber, you might play this because you need the immediate value, and then if you draw Vader later, you, you're just kind of stuck until you either find another lightsaber or find a way to get it back to your hand, whatever the case may be, because there can only be, you know, the one Vader's lightsaber. But I did notice that there's not, at least on the, the game text itself, any way to, like, move these around. And then I the last part, uh, just real quick, is what we had talked about before, and that's the bonus power, health, and traits on the bottom in a nice, easy spot to reference. I I looked at the rules. There's there's no mention regarding moving items around. It's kind of... It, it Picture it almost like a buff spell or a buff enchantment in Magic or a buff spell in Hearthstone. You point, you click, the dude gets what it is. It's bigger, it's badder. So you, you have to kind of be... You have to make decisions as to where they go. Uh, and we haven't seen any cards like Weapon Levitation or something like that where you can steal a weapon or destroy a weapon or something like that. I'm sure those are coming. I'm sure we'll see them. I'm sure that they're going to be aspect-specific. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for, like, Lightsaber Throw 
and it's like you discard this from your vader to deal three damage because that's mm. the power on this right but like you throw the lightsaber that's so cool i i definitely agree but the rules do say that if your character or your if your unit is defeated the weapon is also defeated which means they both go into your discard pile right so you can't shuffle it about so if if you want to give um you know I don't know. Uh, a non-vehicle unit. So if you want to give Grand Moff Tarkin... A lightsaber, Vader's you want lightsaber. General Hux to have one? I mean, there's so many different options. Give him a lightsaber. Uh, it does cost you a bunch, though. But I think the... the be- Well, it does actually... Does, it's only two. It's not terrible. But what I do like about this is... Given the fact that a lot of your bigger characters are going to be built into your base, they're going to be leaders, you're going to rely on them to do a lot of hefty lifting at a certain point, having a card like Vader's lightsaber with Vader as your leader, you can't go wrong because you'll always have Vader ready to rock and roll where you pop him out with your epic event, flip the card over. He's now, I don't know what he's, a 5-8 or something like that. He is now a force to be reckoned with. You jam his lightsaber on him. He's sniping somebody for four, and suddenly he's rock, uh, you know, he's running around as an 8-9, eight, eight, you know, just yeah. a terrorizing, a powerhouse. You can't even I am your father him. That's how badass he is. That's how fat and sassy he's gonna be well that's because he doesn't know who his dad is so that's true it was the force force. his dad was the force (laughs) somehow the forces return oh god i can't wait for us to get a retcon and his father was also emperor palpatine don't 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 go down those roots don't (laughs) um that is those are the three types of cards and before we move on to like the mailbag and stuff i do want to talk a little bit about the six aspects which are essentially your classes your ideologies that you're going to be building decks around as they are basically printed on every deployable card that you're going to have every card that you see is going to have an aspect associated to it i would be very surprised if they print no aspect cards i I, think that we actually will get some with no aspect uh I, i you know what i won't be i wouldn't be surprised um neutral cards or or generic cards are prevalent in many card games Typically, they're understated for the cost based on their versatility. So you never know. You might see like a just a rant, like a a generic, a no aspect card that says something like it's a two cost that does three damage. That's it. That's all. It it like it's like a lightning bolt or a you know lightning strike in Magic. It's just cost two, point and click. But there's it's generic, right? Uh, It's Mm -hmm. completely possible. But let's walk through these uh, aspects, Charmer. All right, so the six are vigilance, aggression, heroism, command, cunning, and villainy. And I love that these are like generic words that can apply to several different facets of the Star Wars universe as opposed to being like faction specific, right? Like the idea of command being something that could represent you know, Imperials and Rebels. Cunning could represent either side, even aggression, things like that. So I I really like that they gave themselves these like broad outs. And also because these are almost in a way like, you know, character or, or trait defining words themselves, it kind of gives you an identity for what to expect when you kind of put your deck together as well, right? Like if you're running a you know, a, aggression command deck or something like that, then you would expect it to be, you know, a a military uh, uh, aggressive, like this is going to be your 
probably assault on Endor style deck, right? Um, I just I, I like that you can mix and match these and already kind of envision the characters and the types of gameplay that you would get from them. I'm gonna give you I want to I'm gonna name a couple characters and I want you to pick two aspects that would go with them. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. All right. First character Han Solo. Cunning heroism. Okay. Okay. I was actually gonna say cutting and aggression was I was gonna go in, but cut aggression I, would be my second. Um, but as much as he likes to say he doesn't care, I think that the thing that's endearing about Han is deep down he's like probably the biggest sap out of all of them. Okay. You know? Like he's he's the dependable hero. Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. So uh this this one uh I think is actually cunning villainy. Okay, I was going to go with Command and Villainy. I could see Command as well, but he's not really like in the actual tactics. So when I think of Command, I think of like, these are your military leaders. They're mm-hmm. going to be like tactical. Okay. And while while Jabba definitely gives commands, he's not like a micromanager. He just expects you to get it done or else, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, I... This this one is actually tougher than it than it probably looks. So for Obi Wan, I'm going to go with vigilance and heroism. Oh, that was mine. Those are the ones I was only, looking at. So, so only because because the other one I could pick is I could have picked um, heroism and aggression because he's actually surprisingly one of the most aggressive like Jedi characters when you look at the comparisons throughout media. Um, but I'm kind of saving. Uh, that for Mace Windu as well. I think Mace Windu is a a Jedi that could fall under the aggression faction as well. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. Uh, let's... Like, I, I just think about the difference between, like, you imagine, you know, Qui-Gon fighting Darth Maul versus Obi-Wan, who, like, just lops the dude in half when he gets the opportunity. And then you think about, like, all the different things that he does during Clone Wars and whatever, like... I used to have this running joke where, you know, I would pitch it like a conspiracy theory, but I'd be like, Obi-Wan's actually a Sith Lord, like, you know, and here's all the reasons why, because he's very aggressive, like kind of uncharacteristically so for a Jedi. I feel like there's going to be characters that are going to be ultra powerful, but will be three aspect characters, wherein, you know, like you want to include this character, you're going to have to either pay a, a pretty significant tax on them or build basically around them. And in my mind, those characters are characters like uh, Emperor, Darth Maul, if they're not leaders, because I suspect that these are characters yeah. that are eventually going to be leaders. But let's like, let's take a little bit off of, of that. Like, what about a character, for example, like Admiral Akbar? You know, if Admiral Akbar is there, to me, it's command, cunning, and heroism. You know, you, you put those three together and you know, maybe it's not a leader character, but maybe this is a character that when they're on the ground, your space units are all, you know, right. Or if it's like, if your base is a, you know, uh Yavin war room, or if your base is a war room or a, a rebel base and he's on yeah. the ground, all your space units are plus one, plus one or plus two, it, plus two. It's funny that you said Admiral Akbar because the one that I immediately thought of was like Mon Mothma. Oh, so yeah. To me, like she's a cunning vigilance heroism if you're picking three, right? Because she's like kind of playing, you know, the politics game. She's got that cunning side to her and we see that, that different side of her, that new side of her in the Andor series, mm-hmm. right? But she's definitely still stoic and, and heroic 
in her more like traditional portrayal as well. So um, I think she could easily fit into that kind of like ground supporting the greater scope of operations kind of role. So let's do this. Let's do this right now because we're just spitballing characters that we don't know if they're even going to be printed in this set or whether they're going to be leaders or not. But we could we could already kind of have a lead on characters like Cassian Andor, Wedge Antilles, Harrison Dula, and uh, Greedo. So should we throw out our predictions on what those are going to be? And then we can always check back to see how right or wrong we were. Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, I'll lead off with Greedo. To me, Greedo is villainy and aggression. That is what I yes. believe Greedo is going to be. Uh, that's what I would have picked as well. Okay. If he's not like the only other one is he's maybe, not cunning. <laughs> I was going to say maybe like vigilance because he like doesn't give up, but he just he's got to be aggression villainy in my mind. Um, and I agree with you. He's not cunning. He's not cunning. Absolutely not cunning. Uh, how about what, what's your read on what's your read on Hera Syndulla? Hera. So. Uh, I think she has the potential to be like a command heroism. Precisely what I had. Exactly. Was command heroism as well. Uh, I think that, you know, her at the early stages of the rebellion would would essentially lead to the heroism aspect. Mm -hmm. And she commanded, you know, and, and I mean, even in the books afterwards, post uh, post the fall of the Empire... She was the command. She was General Harrison Dula. She was a commander, right. uh, commanding um, lots of troops. I agree with that one. I'm good with that one. Um, all right. I want to. I'm going to lead off with Wedge because Wedge is my guy. Okay. For me, Wedge is vigilance, heroism. That is Wedge to me. I would even. I would even edge a little towards aggression. You know what? I'm calling it aggression heroism for Wedge. Wow. Interesting. Aggression heroism. Dude, one of the most badass lines in all of Star Wars is it's the return of the Jedi. He's he, you know, he just fired the first volley at the core of the Death Star. Gold Gold Squadron One is behind him, you know. He's like, all right, he's like, all right, Wedge. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna blow this thing and like head to the surface. He's like, dude, I'm already on my way out. Like, he's I'm I'm already like it's already yesterday's news. I'm already heading back. Like, he's already planning himself. Like, he is an aggressive type of person. He is very much the heroism is going to be there. I think that that is non disputable. But the aggression aspect, and I'm talking about legends and books and stuff like that. But the dude is like okay, we have to do this. Why don't we just blow up all of it while we're there? Kind of thing like that. Like, let's just make this count. Like, I'm the best there is. Yeah. I'm with the people who are just almost as good as I am. Let's get this done. I think that heroism and aggression for him, because the heroism comes from being a, you know, brave and being a hero. And the aggression comes from the fact that he trusts his own skill set, that he's just going to get it done. So he's not afraid. He's going to get in and, and just make it hurt. All right. I, I could buy it. I think... I think he's going to end up in like heroism uh, vigilance or I could even see maybe heroism command, but uh, I, I like the aggression take, which is, which is interesting because that's also where I'm going with, uh, with my, my Andor. So I'll lead off on Cassian. I think Cassian is going to be cunning aggression, 
and that might be a bit of a hot take because I don't think like he very well could fall under the the heroism with the rebellion. Um, but he kind of like more so than any other standard quote unquote rebel character lives in that gray area, right? And even when we see him in Rogue One, where it's you know supposedly further in his kind of like spy for the rebellion career, you know, he tells Jin, like, I, I haven't always done good things. And so I think he very well could be a, a cunning aggression type character. So I like the cunning take. I think that one is just without without a doubt. I think that Cassian Andor is going to be cunning. I think to me it's vigilance because he ha- he's with with being a spy with people constantly out to get him, to hunt him down. He needs to always be aware. He needs to be, uh, you know, in tune with his surroundings, who to trust, who not to trust. You know, it's, it's interesting because all of these also kind of depend on where they are in their arc. Right. Because late Cassian. Sure. I could see him like needing to be vigilant, but I think about like, you know, Cassian on, the vacation planet where he gets arrested just because he's literally not paying attention and, you know, argues with the Imperial robot and gets arrested for being in the wrong place at the wrong time sort of thing. Like, uh, I, I, you know what? You could definitely be correct because like, if we take a character, for example, like even just like Leia, Leia in a new hope is to me, it's more heroism, aggression kind of thing. Uh, you know, standing up to and and talking talking smack to Tarkin and talking smack to Vader and and things like that. Um, whereas Leia in in the in the sequels, like General General Organa, is more command and vigilant. She's less about taking risks. If you notice, mm-hmm. she's so much more about weighed options and making sure that things are accounted for. She's less the give me that rifle into the garbage chute flyboy. She's more of, I didn't tell you this because you were going to make, I wasn't, I didn't tell you this part of the plan because you were going to make a stupid decision based off of what I was going to say. And we're, we only have X amount of ships. We cannot risk it. Even if we have a golden opportunity here, it's not worth the risk. So the evolution of the characters as well, and we're going to get tons of variants. We're going to get farm boy, Luke, we're going to get, uh, you know, Cloud City Luke, we're going to get Lando, young Lando, uh, I said Tartar Control Lando, you know, like, I mean, all the different variants. <laughs> but ultimately, we're going to get so many different versions of these kinds of things that there's going to be different ways to play them. And I, I, I for, for, again, we're going to dig into this in droves next week when we dig into the rules. But the deck building aspect of this game with, with, very loose restrictions it's not saying no it's saying you yes but is what they're doing when you're debt when you're deck building i love that i really really love that because that is something that you might not get from a lot of different card games out there yeah i'm i'm on board speaking of a lot of different card games is uh now a good time for us to hit our bad feeling mailbag it is absolutely time for the bad feeling mailbag i got a bad feeling about this i have a bad feeling about this i've got a bad feeling about hey. quiet so the reason that i i did that transition is because uh this week we got a question from jedi geek girl it says always happy to leave a question for a fellow podcast's mailbag my question for you guys is if you could take one thing 
from previous four big Star Wars card games. So they reference like the CCG, TCG, LCG, Star Wars Destiny, you know, etc. And bring them to Star Wars Unlimited. What would the answer be for each one? And it can't be something we know or leaked, meaning like something that is potentially still either on the table or it could be in the future, like that sort of thing. And there's there's a lot of Star Wars card games with a lot of interesting stuff. So this is where the the crack in my armor is exposed, the weakness in the Death Star plans for for Flake, as it were, because of those that you've named, I've only played one. I've only played Star Wars CCG. When the new card game came out, like right afterwards, I bought some, didn't really play it much, wasn't a fan. Uh, mm-hmm. The living card game didn't touch Star Wars Destiny. I didn't touch. I think because at that time I was knee deep in other things. Um, you didn't mention Young Jedi. Yeah, I didn't mention Young Jedi because she didn't. She didn't mention Young question, Jedi. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Young Jedi is also on the table. Um, so if you're not familiar, that was a very short-lived one that came out around uh, like when Phantom Menace came out because they were kind of trying to capitalize on the the new movie launch, and it was also when Decipher was having some of their uh, own internal troubles um so there was a, a card game release called the young jedi you, if i remember it, you could buy like starter decks that had uh obi-wan and darth maul i think were like the themes for the first one um and that one was interesting because like it was still a deck building game but it also played out almost more more like a living card game where you do the deck building throughout because like the way you shuffle and the order of the reveals mattered um, I used to joke that it was like a, a complicated version of war. It was. It was. That's precisely <laughs> um, what it was. Yeah. So that, that one's a little bit tougher to like choose a mechanic from because yeah, it, it was simple, kind of on purpose. The problem with that game is that it it was an easily solvable game because it was basically all right. These are there are like three metrics that we need to look at, or four metrics, which is deploy cost, attack value destiny number and damage value and once you basically solved the best ratios for all this to basically say on average when i pull a card over to match against yours my value is on average going to be better than yours 55 percent of the time which over the long course of whatever is going to be better it's not about oh i have a lot of weak stuff and a lot of big stuff it's no like the that's why like the winning decks were essentially the same character 10 times over in each one of the color slots that you had to fill to comprise a deck whether it was and then what's fascinating about that is that the light side of the of the game had direct counterparts for the dark side of the game um Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul were the exact same card with different pictures on them that was it. So if you if you solved it for the light side, you built the precise exact version on the other side. So in that game, if I remember correctly, the like championship deck was like, all right, I'm running 30 Obi-Wans and support cards. And the dark side version, the dark side equivalent were uh, Trade Federation tanks. So I'm running 30 dark Trade Federation tanks and whatever the support card equivalents were. And that was it. Those were, That was it because they, they figured out, well, Obi-Wan has a base power of four, a destiny number of four. Together, that creates um, like a cumulative positive value of eight. The damage on the card is only two, and the deploy cost was four, which means I could play that and his lightsaber 
once per turn, every single time. Right. And that was essentially how that deck was was basically made. Yeah. It was it was a it was a solvable format. So yeah. we I, like I went to, on a again, I went on a little bit of a tangent here. I'm no, sorry. no, you're fine. Like we would just like to uh avoid that. So with that in mind, um <laughs> I'll do a little bit of the, the heavy lifting here, but I, I will also say that it's gonna be kind of a cop out because some of the things that I like from the games you haven't played, Flake, are similarly in the old decipher star wars game but just in a, in a different way kind of a, a different mechanic right so uh star wars destiny like if i if i had to take like one thing from that because that also incorporated dice and there are some other things i think to like and dislike about it but the thing that just stands out to me is like it it was a game where you went back to locations again right like there was a place like where you would have a battle and that was always one of the things i liked about the decipher star wars game right is that you had not just a location, you had lots of locations by the end. And so whenever you were doing something, it felt like you were doing something in the Star Wars universe, right? Like I could envision these characters having this battle in this place, having the shootout in this cantina, right? And Star Wars Destiny, you know, kind of brought back that location feel. So that's what I would grab um, from that. And then from the living card game, they had... Uh, Two different things. So when you resolved fate cards, there was like a priority number. And then there was also these like bits where you would compare these like little dots. I think they were on the left side of the card. Um, we'll have to find an example or something to see if I'm uh, correct in my remembrance of it because it has been a while. So I apologize. But I think there was like little dots on the sides of the card for when you would resolve um, the the edge battle. And both of those mechanics, both the priority number... Uh, for the fate resolutions and then those dots felt like destiny as your resolution thing from decipher right it was just like a different way of doing it but it still was a way to balance cards in an interesting way while also solving variants right so in the decipher card game you had a number in the top left and anytime where you would need to randomize something you would reveal the card for destiny right and Cards were balanced around that instead of like rolling a die. So like when you think about destiny, you're like Star Wars destiny, you would roll dice when you needed to randomize things. Well, this takes it to another level and it makes it part of the deck building consideration. And the living card game had a similar thing, right? So you you had uh, these like dots as I remember them. I can't remember what the actual name for it was, but I know that they're like little dots on the sides of the card. Use those to resolve your edge battles. And then you also had like a priority number for when the the fate things would resolve right so imagine you and i are taking actions in star wars unlimited and if you play a card and i play a card maybe even though you played yours second it resolves technically first because it has a better priority number if that makes sense so um stuff like that just to provide depth and also give you greater consideration during the deck building portion of playing a card game i think are are really cool so that that's what i would bring in yeah, the, the tough part about answering this question is that we've seen the anatomy of the card. We've seen the the rule book, you know? Yeah. So there's not many secrets which or, or not many, you know, rooms for us to, to maneuver to in. Right, yeah. So uh, that's why I was also trying to pick stuff that was not yeah. um, in the rules, right, that we know about. So. Yeah. Okay, so I've got one that I think it, it has nothing to do with the actual gameplay. It'll have to do more so with 
organized play. What I want to see is the reinvention of the old school region maps that were based off of, excuse me, that were based off of Star Wars regions or sectors or planet systems, etc. Like growing up, I was in like the Hoth region. You know, and there's like mm-hmm. Coruscant and this and that and whatever, and that those regions were div- divided and fought over for championships, not by state, not by province, or not by city, or not by unique event. It was th- he won the Hoth Northridge Championship, and people would know, oh, Hoth Northridge, that's Quebec and Ontario, or he won this, or he won that, or. Endor, he won Endor, this, that. I, I want to see that come back. I, lo- I loved talking about that. I loved that aspect. And You just like it because you had a cool location. Oh, like, dude, Hoth absolutely. is one of the better ones to end up with, man. I don't, I don't want to be the Endor champion. Like, no? You don't want to be Endor champion? Listen, if you're the Endor champion, even though you're the winner, you're the top dog in your region, you're just going to be like, oh, you're the teddy bear guy, right? Like, What am I? We, can, we can't even... We can't even celebrate outdoors. Ball. We literally picked the like. <laughs> we picked that for our 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 logo, our icon for our podcast. Like I respect the Wampa. We picked it because it was probably the best representation of us, which is holed away in a cave, away from all signs of life, <laughs> within Loud, a Star Wars cranky. universe. <laughs> yeah, eating meat off of a bone, just <clears throat> that kind of thing. But that's what I would want to see back. Because when it comes down to rules and card stuff, well, I say unfortunately. Fortunately, we already know all this stuff. Uh, we're just waiting for for new cards. But yeah, man, um, that's that that would be it for me. So thank you, Jedi Geek Girl, for a wonderful submission. And we invite all of you out there in whatever region you are, even if you are in the Endor region, because we don't care. We love it. We love everybody. Um, it's just It's just not for me. I, I love it and appreciate it. It's a nice place to visit. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want to live on Endor. You make it sound like we're talking about like Portland. <laughs> hey, uh, like nothing against it. It's just I would never really want to live there. Uh, that's just me. So, yeah. All right, friends. There you go. Do you have a question for the Bad Feeling Mailbag? Do you want to reach out to Charmer or myself? You can touch base with us at Wampa Radio on Twitter. Myself at Watch Flake. Charmer is at that charm 3r because this edgy mofo and his coolness it's my droid designation yes yeah you know what you didn't do it last time give us your tell us your twitter account in your droid voice please that's charm 3r right to the right to the scrap heap with you immediately restraining bolt and in the garbage with you. you would sell me to a pack of Jawas if you could. Uh, they wouldn't take you. They would not take you. You know that scene where it's they, like... They would, they would take one look at you and say, Utini. Yeah. Uncle Owen, this one has a bad motivator. Is there anything more you than a bad motivator? <laughs> let's get real. Yeah. Like, let's... I, am, I am not just, uh, you know, I, I'm Charmer because that's my droid designation, but I am a broken, unsellable, unsalvageable droid hauled around in the back of a sand crawler <laughs> oh man i uh, i know what i'm doing tomorrow i'm making some i'm making some r5d4 charmer memes <laughs> that's what i'm doing oh all right friends uh this is also a good opportunity for us to invite you to please uh you know subscribe to the channel uh 
here on YouTube, uh, if that's where you're checking us. But also, if you're catching us on any of the platforms like Google or Apple Pods or Spotify or wherever you are, leaving us a five-star review, honestly, is the best way that you guys can support us. It helps us with... uh, all of the uh, the big algorithmocracy that we live in, and sincerely, it does do us wonders. So please hit us with a five star review. You probably don't even have to type anything. You just click and say cool, and then that means the world to us. Charmer, any anything you want to sign us off with? Any more droid droidisms? No, no, you can't overdo the bit. Like that would just be that would be too much. No, actually, you know what I want to sign off with. I think I want to provide a teaser for what I think our next poll should be. Okay. Best music choice from Star Wars. Hear me out because, you know, we need at least four to run our poll. So I, you know, we we got the classic, the force theme, right? You know, Tatooine music, that, that very iconic. But we've also got like the Imperial March, mm-hmm. Duel of the Fates, Cantina music. Dude, those the are the Mando four. theme hits. Those well, are the Mando theme hits too. Yeah. Though, like there's there's some good choices in there. I'm just saying that'd be a great tough. poll. Well, we you know what? Like it's that's a tough one because we can okay. We have to separate this. We should do in canon music, like the music that is featured as within the Star Wars universe, and then we can do the like John Williams stuff. Like I think we have to separate it because you know. Uh, I got a week to think about this, but we'll we'll get it done. <laughs> we'll get it done. Friends, thank you so much for listening to Wampa Radio. We will catch you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>